This is the Budget Minded Traveler Podcast, Episode 9. Welcome to the Budget Minded Traveler Podcast, your source for the tips and tactics that will inspire and equip you to travel the world. And the best part? It won't break your bank. And now, the Budget Minded Traveler herself and your host, Jackie LaLainen. Hey guys, this is Jackie LaLainen, and welcome to another episode of the Budget Minded Traveler podcast, episode nine to be exact. And in today's episode, we actually have an awesome interview with my friend Karen Morris, who has done two separate TEFL experiences abroad. And if you don't know what that is, and you might be interested in teaching English abroad, definitely stick around for that. But first, I wanted to give a shout out to a listener by the name of Justin Saxfield. Justin emailed me with a few ideas of things that he thought would be appropriate to cover on the podcast. And he was absolutely right. In fact, one of them was um, the subject that we're talking about today, teaching English abroad. And I actually was already planning on doing this episode and this interview with Karen, but it was really nice to see Justin's email because then I found out right away that yes, my listeners want to hear this. And so I'm really interested to hear from you guys. I know I kind of mentioned in the last episode that it's been great getting emails and feedback, um, but some of the best ones are the ones that I'm getting with questions for you know potential topics in future episodes. And so if you have an idea of something that you think might be appropriate, to be covered on this podcast, please let me know because you're probably not the only one thinking that. I'm sure there are a lot of you out there who want to learn about TEFL and teaching English abroad as well. So um, just like Justin wasn't the only one, you probably aren't the only one with the questions in your head. So feel free to email me or Facebook me um, and give me those ideas because I would love to dive into those ideas together um, and essentially deliver what you guys want to hear on this podcast. So thanks, Justin, for your email and for everyone else who's emailed me and uh, definitely keep them coming. And on that note, even if you think your question might not fill up an entire episode, definitely let me know because I'm going to be starting um, what's going to be known as listener questions episodes. There will be several of them thrown in in between the regular episodes. And the first one's going to be coming up soon. And those are for the shorter questions that don't take an entire episode to answer. So if you have a quick question that you think could be appropriate for a listener questions episode, definitely get that to me as well. And you just might be hearing your name and your question mentioned in the next listener questions episode. So moving on with today's topic, teaching English abroad, I am bringing Karen Morris on the show to teach you guys all about TEFL and answer some questions that will hopefully clear up some things around that for you. And while I'll let her talk about that, I wanted to tell you a little bit about her before she comes on. And one of the things I find most interesting about Karen is her profession right now. She is a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse. Yes, we still have those in Montana. Um, out in the country, outside of Bozeman. And she has students of all levels up until eighth grade. And I remember one time asking her how she got the position and, you know, what they look for in that kind of teacher. And one of her responses or one of her reasons was that, you know, she had taught English overseas for a total of four years and had the experience of the ups and downs and all the crazy things being thrown at you, which has helped her to get to where she is now, which I think is really significant. And she does a great job of getting into TEFL and offering some websites and some resources for us. So let's go ahead and get into that interview. 
All right. I would like to introduce Karen Morris. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you for having me. And you have done a couple different TEFL programs abroad. And so I'm really excited to have you because I know that a lot of people don't know a whole lot about TEFL and they want to, they have a lot of questions. And so basically I want to get through some questions with you today that will, you know, help teach other people what they need to know about TEFL and how to go about um, teaching English abroad, if that's something that interests them. So um, first of all, I was thinking maybe we could start with a little bit of background. Um, what made you decide that you wanted to do the TEFL program? Were you, were you first interested in just teaching English abroad or what was it that made you want to do this in the first place? Well, initially I had just finished my undergrad and one of my degrees is in Spanish and having come out of college with an undergrad in Spanish, I didn't feel like my Spanish was actually all that great as far as conversational Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I would like to live abroad somewhere, but I wanted, you know, to go and work because I was finished with my degree. So I was actually working at a travel agency at the time right after college and we had a lot of information on TEFL programs or programs abroad. So that's kind of how I found out about TEFL. And so I started doing research on my own. And from what I could find with a TEFL, it seemed like it could be pretty easy to find jobs abroad teaching English. So that seemed like the easiest way to get somewhere to a Spanish-speaking country and live there. That's awesome. So you actually, that's kind of ironic that you actually wanted to go so that you could learn Spanish and you ended up going the teaching English route. Yeah, it was kind of the reverse. I was actually, I think before I left to go abroad, I had actually gotten certified to be a Spanish teacher. I mean, I'd gone through the process, but you know, I, my academic Spanish was really great. Mm -hmm. but my conversational was poor, you know, and that was the part I was really looking to improve. So So. you hadn't studied abroad before then, right? I had done a summer in Mexico, but it was only six weeks and I was mostly just hanging out with other people from my university. So we were primarily speaking English. Right. I know how that goes. Yeah. Six weeks really isn't quite long enough for that. Oh, it wasn't. And I wanted, you know, I wanted to be able to travel to a lot of European countries without having to make a ton of trips or go traveling for three months, you know, I kind of wanted to live there and be able to kind of jump, have like a jumping off point. Yeah. That's the best way to do that. I I did that when I lived in Italy too. It's the best way to explore Europe is when you have a base somewhere and you can just take little weekend trips or whatever it is. Exactly. That's exactly what I did. So, So, um, so you ended up choosing TEFL and why did you choose TEFL? Was there something that said, you know, in order to get one of these jobs, you have to have a TEFL cert and, Will you, will you explain what TEFL is just in case anybody doesn't know? Um, well, it's basically just a certification that says that you can teach English. Um, so, and it's and TEFL stands for teaching English as a foreign language, right? Foreign language. Yeah. So it's, if you're going into a country that's a non English speaking country and teaching English as a foreign language, um, From all the research that I did and people that I talked to who lived abroad, because I did have some friends who were already doing this in Barcelona, which is why I chose to go there. But um, they just said, get a TEFL and come over here and look for a job. And that's pretty much what I did. So I kind of researched some programs and, you know, 
there's a lot of different programs out there. There's for TEFL specifically, you mean? For TEFL specifically, mm-hmm. uh, some of them involve actually going to the country and doing your TEFL there. I know one of the places in Barcelona was called International House. Um, I think they offered they offered an in-house TEFL where they also helped you find a job when you finished the TEFL. But those were really, they were one really expensive and they were, I, I want to say like a month long programs. Um, and when you say really expensive, can you give us an idea of what that, what, yeah. I mean, I know this was years ago. Do you remember? I mean, I would see around a couple of thousand dollars. Oh, wow. That's so expensive. Okay. For me at the time it wasn't really, but I think you, you know, you go and you stay there and you're really immersed and they help you find jobs and things like that. So there's an advantage to doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at the time, didn't have a couple of thousand dollars. I mean, that was all I had just to move. Right. So I went the cheaper route, which was I just did mine online. It was pretty straightforward. Um, it was in modules, and you had to complete a module to move on to the next module. But it was only around $100. Awesome. So, so and that is that at like a move, um, move on your own pace type of thing? It is. Okay. And how did you find that? Did you just do that on like teffel.com or something? Yeah, I, I worked at a travel, I was working at a travel agency at the time. It's one of the companies that we use it. It was called eye to eye. Um, so I had already known about this company. So I just kind of researched their website and ended up going through them. And I, and I think they offered quite a few different programs as well. So, so I think it, that's maybe a little tricky because it's hard to know what's the best program for you. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as using it as a credential to teach, I didn't, it didn't seem to make a difference. People weren't asking, well, this is an eye to eye temple and you need a such and such temple. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the only advantage I would see to doing one of the programs is you go to the country, you're going to know some people there already. You're not completely on your own if you do one of those programs in the country and they help you find a job. So, the advantage to doing that is if you just are not wanting to just go and wing it on your own, you know? Okay. Right. So maybe like very first time travelers who don't really know what they're doing, that could be an advantage for them because it's essentially like someone is kind of holding your hand. Like it's an, it's a structured program for you if you choose to do it that way. Exactly. Yes. So then you, since so you did the online one, how long did it take you? Oh, I would say maybe a month or two, not very long. Okay. And, and then go at your own pace. So sorry, what you can go at your own pace. Right. So okay. If you want to just bust it out, I think you can. Okay. So then how did it work for you? Once you got the certificate, um, you said you had some friends in Spain that said, just come over. So at least you had that knowledge that you could probably find a job with your TEFL cert. Now that you had it, just come to Spain. So what did that look like for you? How did you end up securing a job? And did you just go without one? Yeah, I went without one, which was really scary because I've never done that in my life. I mean, it was probably the only time I've ever done that. Um, so yeah, I got over there and... You know, I knew a few people, so there were some websites you could go on to and look for jobs, and I just did that, and I basically just took any job that I could find at first. Okay. Um, And what were those jobs? Most of them were working for private language academies. Okay. Um, Is there... Do you remember what the websites were that you used when you were in Spain? the one in Spain was specific. It was kind of like a Craigslist. It was called Loquo. Okay. Um, we'll put that on the show notes page so that people can 
access that there. So I'll um, be sure to get that from you. And then another resource, which I did find out about later was Dave's ESL cafe and Dave's ESL cafe actually has different pages broken down for different countries. Mm. So that would be good for any country. Local, I think is specific, maybe to Spain. Hmm. Okay. Um, and so how long were you in Spain teaching? Two years. Two years. That's incredible. Did you uh, accomplish your goal of learning Spanish fluently? I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, I did. And I think that would be so confusing to go to Spain and, you know, focus on trying to learn Spanish, <laughs> like colloquial Spanish, you know, and then teaching English all the time. I think that would be taxing on the brain. Oh, and another thing that's, okay, this is another thing that's really interesting. As an American, when you go to teach, so when I went to teach in Spain, what all the language materials that, because eventually I worked at, for a language academy where I taught all different levels of English, like adults, kids, but all the curriculum that they used was British English. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn British English to teach British English. It was the strangest thing. You know, there would be these recordings that we would listen to for pronunciation, and I wouldn't be pronouncing it the way the recording was because I'm not British. um, Yeah, that's got to be a trip. Yeah, I wouldn't. And I wouldn't have even thought about that before I went over there. But people in Europe want to learn British English, you know, so. Yeah. Hmm. Did you come back with an accent at all? (laughs) With a British accent? Yeah. Um, I definitely picked up some British phrases and things because I had some a lot of friends that were British as well just because a lot of, you know, Europeans move around Europe, so. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, it was um, really strange. So any um, anything else you want to add about your program in Spain? Because I know you did another program, so. Um, I would just say, you know, if you're planning to just go and wing it, just be prepared to not be able to find a lot of jobs at first. You know, it took me about a year to get a really good job. I had to take a lot of little jobs in order to build up to that. So don't expect you're going to go over and just find, you know, a really great job right off the bat. Okay. Awesome. And then did you go right away into your next program? Because I know you ended up in Vietnam. So how did that happen? Well, I was just, again, it was kind of this idea of, I really want to travel in Asia, but I don't want to go, you know, buy a plane ticket and just go traveling for a couple of weeks. I want to be able to really, you know, get to know the place and have a jumping off point. So that's kind of why I picked Asia. Originally I was looking, you know, I was kind of wanting Thailand, um, but Vietnam actually had much better paying jobs and a lot more options for jobs. So a lot of people want to go to Thailand and teach English. You know, it's just a really cool place to hang out. So because of that, the jobs don't pay very well and there's not a whole ton of jobs. So, And where are you even looking to find these jobs? I want to say I found that one on Dave's ESL Cafe. Um, also, International House is, I think I mentioned that before, they have locations all over the world. So they have English schools everywhere. So that was another good resource. And that's initially the job I took in Vietnam was through International House. Okay. And I'll put those on the show notes page as well. Um, and did you, when you're looking on these websites, the Dave's ESL Cafe and the International House, et cetera, 
when you see um, these listings, do they say you need to have a TEFL for this? Usually they do. And some of them say you have to have, yeah, I would say TEFL is the minimum that you would have to have. Okay. And then what would be like, do, do some of them ask for teaching credentials too, or what's the rest of it? Well, so you can get your TEFL and then there's, um, another, there's a couple of other levels of like English teaching certification you can get. Um, there's, I believe there's a Delta and I may be wrong on this one, but I want to say there's, there's like different levels of the Delta that you can get. Okay. And that require, and that is a lot more rigorous than getting the TEFL. So to get the job that you took in Vietnam, did you have to have more than the TEFL or did you just go with your TEFL? No, I just went with my TEFL. All right. And then where was that? What's, tell us about that program. So that was, again, you know, there's these language academies that they have, um, and they usually teach all levels of English. So starting from, you know, little kids going all the way up to adults, Um, And so this uh, job that I got originally was International Houses had a program where they went into public schools, so Vietnamese schools, to teach children English. But um, just to break this down for you, I had never been to Asia before at all. And Vietnam is very different. And, you know, I've traveled in Latin America. I just don't know how you would even compare the two. They're just so different. So I was already kind of experiencing a bit of culture shock having moved there. Mm -hmm. And my first job that I got, I was, they were taking me to a public school. I literally had, I want to say 40 kindergartners in one room all together. And I didn't speak any Vietnamese. They didn't speak any English. Like mm-hmm. the teacher wasn't even there. Like as soon as I got there, the teacher would leave. So that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't teach any English. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I was, the kids were like climbing over the table. I mean, imagine like 40 kindergartners in one room. Wow. And then not being able to speak the language and just totally different culture, you know? So I didn't know how to discipline them or, what, you know, what the rules were for the classroom or, you know, everything that I learned previously in my teaching experience no longer really applied in this context. And so there was no like training or anything for you when you got there, no like easing into the position or anything. Did they just throw you in? Yeah. I mean, I think that they, you know, there, I think there was some initial training, just kind of like, here's some materials you can use and that kind of thing. Um, But I think because I'd had some experience, they kind of didn't really, honestly, I think they gave me that specific job because I did have experience. They thought, oh, well, you know, she can maybe handle this. Oh, geez. That's nice. Yeah. Um, But it was, I mean, I have to say it was really not enjoyable at all. And I very quickly started looking for another job. (laughs) And so what happened? Did you leave that job? Did you, were you able to find another job? Yeah, I was able to find another job. Um, you know, after I'd been living there for a little while, I met other expats. You know, it's a pretty small, like, tight-knit expat community. So, you know, it's not very hard to pick out who the foreigners are in, in Vietnam. So um, I met some people who were working somewhere else, at a, actually at an Australian university that had, like, a, you know, in order to enter the university you know, the Vietnamese students would have to have a certain level of English. And so they had an English 
program within the university so okay. more students could enter. And that's where I ended up getting a job. So how long did you work at that job? Like at the, at the university, mm-hmm. uh, almost two years. So you, how, what was your total time spent in Vietnam? Yeah, like just about two years. That's crazy. That's awesome. So you've been now two years in Spain and two years in Vietnam. Did you have any time in between those that you came back to the States? uh, I did. I came back to the States for a month in between. A month. um, I love it. (laughs) Spain and Vietnam. And, you know, I came once when I was living in Vietnam to visit and probably once or twice when I lived in Spain because it was a lot closer. But to come back from Vietnam was really far. I mean, you know, you've traveled to Thailand, so it's, it's a real journey. Not to mention expensive. Yeah. And expensive, but initially I wanted to stay in Vietnam a year, but Mm -hmm. I was making actually really good money because the cost of living there is so low. Okay. So I decided to stay another year to save money. So on that note, I was actually going to ask you about the pay. What kind of pay is it? Like, cause you said Thailand wasn't very good. Vietnam was better. What was it in Spain? Like how much, what did you actually make? If you don't mind sharing that with us. I mean, in Spain initially, I would say for the first year, I was probably only making like 600 euros a month, which is not very much, but you know, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a lot of expenses. So I was able to live on that pretty well. You know, I was still having to not really go out to eat and things like that. But when I ended up getting a job at a good like language academy where I had, you know, a regular schedule and 40 hours, I would say I was making probably double that in euros, which was really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was able to live really comfortably off of that. So, and then in Vietnam, I was making, I was probably making like $30,000 a year. And that was living in Vietnam. No kidding. Where the cost of living is pretty low. Well, because I got lucky enough to work for an Australian university. So they paid Australian, you know, salaries. Right. And Australia, their minimum wage is like $20 an hour. So, yeah. So that was, I mean, I was really lucky to get into that job because a lot of people wanted to work there, you know? Okay. And you have had a bit of teaching experience and credentials already. Do you think you would have been able to get that job at the Australian university with just a TEFL or was there more involved? I think I would have been able to get one of the lower level English teaching positions. So I kind of had more of a, I was teaching more like academic English, whereas they had like a very beginning language program, which was like no English at all, you know, like beginner English speakers. So those jobs were a little lower on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. And I think you could get those jobs just with a TEFL. And if you had probably some experience, I don't know that you would be able to go green, you know, just fresh with a TEFL and get one of those jobs. You'd probably have to have some experience first. Okay. All right. So changing gears a little bit. Um, once you do your TEFL program and you have your certificate, um, and you can get these jobs abroad. Is it, does it kind of end there or is that, I mean, I can imagine it'd be really great for your resume in the States, but, um, does it mean anything for teaching jobs in the U S you were to come back and teach? Um, the main advantage that I saw, um, for my own, you know, my own career as a teacher was that, um, it just shows that you are able to handle various situations and various, you know, teaching environments. So I think that gives you an advantage over someone who's fresh out of college and has no teaching experience at all, you right. know? Yeah. And that um, makes sense. 
Yeah, it's not necessarily about the content that you're teaching, but how well you can handle a classroom and, you know, if you're effective and things like that. And if you've been able to teach abroad in, you know, those kinds of situations where you're really out of your element, and I think it shows that you're really adaptable to any environment. Yeah, no kidding. You've had a lot more life experience, culture experience, I guess, if you if you do participate in one of these programs. And I think that some places, you know, look at a resume like that and they value that, you know, it depends on what the values are of the place where you're, you know, where you're trying to work, you know? So then does, does TEFL, does it like, does your certificate expire? Would you have to renew it or how does that work? Um, I don't think it expires, but what you can do, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't expire, but what you can do is there's little you know, additional certifications you can get along the way. And I think, you know, if you just had a TEFL and you were teaching abroad for 10 years, someone might say to you, why haven't you, you know, tried to go up a level or get any additional certifications to so just stick with the TEFL. If you were wanting to do that for a long time, it wouldn't make sense just to have the TEFL, you know, cause you would want to start getting those better jobs that are right. out. So almost like continuing education type thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. And again, you know, I mentioned that I think the Delta certification, which if you really were, you know, said, I'm going to really want to make a career out of this, you would go and get those additional certifications because they really allow you to get better, better jobs. Right. Okay. And that makes sense. But TEFL is a great place to start, especially if you're right out of college and you're not really sure what you want to do and you want to travel, but you don't have a lot of money. I mean, it's the best, it's the best way to do it, I think, because you get to go and live somewhere, you know, you know, it's a totally different experience to go and live in a foreign country than it is to travel. Absolutely. (laughs) Definitely. That's like an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, question for you, would you do it again? If you could, did you have a positive experience with your TEFL cert and getting those jobs? Would you, would you recommend TEFL to people? Was it worth it? Oh, it was definitely worth it. I mean, it was, yeah. It was, I mean, it was just such a great experience and it was just so cool being able to live somewhere and feel like, you know, you belonged there and it was your home for a little while. And, you know, I know people, I met people through my different jobs that that's what they do. That's what they're doing for the rest of their lives. You know, they go from country to country and find really great jobs and they don't have a home base, you know, wherever they're teaching, that's their home base. And that's what an incredible, incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So what advice would you give to other people interested in teaching English abroad, uh, either specifically or not specifically through TEFL? What would you tell them? Um, I would just say, you know, that maybe initially have low expectations for the kind of jobs you're going to get. But I think that goes without saying once you, when you graduate from college, you kind of are not really sure what kind of jobs you're going to get anyways. So, and it helps if you know somebody, you know, even if it's just a friend of a friend or someone distant who can just kind of show you the ropes when you first get there. Or if you can find a blog, you know, where people are writing about where they work or just do your research. And otherwise you might end up in a job that's, you know, really horrible. Like the one that I ended up in Vietnam initially, but it's a hundred percent worth it. And it's such a great experience and definitely do the TEFL. That's the easiest way to get started. You know, that's like the minimal you need to do. And then if you really love it, you can later on think about getting those additional certifications or going further with it. Right. 
Okay. So where can people go to learn more about TEFL then? Do you have any recommendations for websites um, besides, you know, the Dave's ESL, the ones you've already mentioned, where else can people get some good information about these programs? Um, yeah, I mean, besides the one I mentioned, uh, there's, I would say probably if you're currently in college, you know, check with your university, they probably know of programs like this and, you know, just go online. Now it's ridiculous how many resources there are out there. So, so, and then it's tefl.com, right? Is that the website for tefl? Yeah. And then there's also the company that I went through is eye to eye and they offer a lot of different programs that that's one I could recommend. Okay. And is that eye to eye, like EYE or like, oh, like the letter I, the letter I. I think it's lowercase I to I. Okay. I think I've actually heard of that before and that's eye to eye.com. Uh, don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm, yeah, I think. Okay. So. We'll figure it out and I'll put that on the show notes, okay. show notes page. I'll have all of these resources for you guys on the show notes page. Um, when this is all said and done. So, um, well, thank you so much, Karen. It's been really great getting into, um, the details of TEFL because I know so many people are just like, well, what, what should I do with it? You know, is it, is it really worth it? Do I need it? And all that. So hopefully this clears up some questions for some of those people. And really that kind of wraps it up for today. Unless there's anything else you wanted to add about, about all this. Um, actually I did think of one other thing. Could I? Yeah, go ahead. Ask? When you're also, one of the things that was really tricky about going to teach in Vietnam was getting the visa. So it was a really involved um, process where I had to go back and forth with a consulate and do a lot of paperwork and pay quite a bit of money. So that's also something you should keep in mind when you're looking at places to go to teach abroad is, is it easy, you know, just to go there and work? Because for Spain, it was super easy, but for Vietnam, it was like a decision, you know, it was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend the time, do the paperwork, get the visa. So that's something else you might want to consider when you're choosing your country. Right. That's a really good point. And I actually have, um, I have a resource page on my website about all the visa, you know, links to all the visa stuff that you would need. So I'll put a a link to that on the show notes page as well. But that actually brings up another question for me. You said going to Spain was really easy. And as far as I know, I mean, I know this is correct, but as a tourist on a tourist visa, you get three months in Europe. So how did it work with, um, since you went over there without a job, how did you get a visa to stay? Well, I didn't. You didn't? No. <laughs> okay. So did you just, did you <laughs> go out of the country or anything? I mean, out of uh, the EU? No. I mean, I went out once a year. So my tourist visa was expired and I, yeah, I wasn't working there legally at all. But okay. I mean, that being said, none of the, none, nobody who was American was working there legally. Right. So. I can't If you say wanted it. to go that route, again, you would, you should go through one of those companies that sets up the program because again, that's where they'll help you find a job where you can get a visa if you want to go that route. If you uh, are okay with just winging it, like I said, then it's totally doable. Right. <laughs> and I have done that uh, at least three times. So. <laughs> Yeah, I understand what you mean when you say none of the Americans were working there legally. So, however, you could absolutely not do that in Vietnam. So, okay, good point. And when you left the country, when you left Spain, at either whenever you left, did you have any problems with that? I did have problems with it only because I went through the UK when oh. I left, and I had to do an overnight in the UK, so I had to leave customs and come back to the airport the next day 
and they were asking me actually a lot of questions about why, you know, how, how was I living in Spain for a year and why had, where were my resources coming from? And it was actually a little scary. So a word of advice on that is if possible, avoid the UK because in Spain, they never asked me any questions about my visa. So yeah, actually, I had that problem in Switzerland, too, after we had been living in Italy for too long. And we went through that interrogation, and it was scary. It was really scary. Um, yeah. So, but I always thought that maybe if you go, like, if if you're there for, and we're kind of on a tangent now, but I think this is really um, good stuff to talk about. Um, I think that if you, before your three months is up, do you think it would work to go to the UK then? And because the UK is a different visa, they give you like a six month visa. Do you think that would work? I think it would, as long as you're not doing that all the time, because then it looks suspicious. And that's kind of what ended up happening to me too, because I had a friend who was going to medical school in the UK. So I was actually making a lot of trips between Spain and the UK. And to them, that looked very suspicious because I didn't have a work visa. I'd been living there for, you know, I'd been in Europe for two years And I had all these flights back and forth to the UK. Like, I don't know what they thought, but they thought something was definitely up. But they never did anything, right? They just scared the crap out of me, to be honest. I mean, I was really scared when they interrogated me. So Yeah, I Um, feel that. I know what you're talking about. I've been there. (laughs) And they actually put a little uh, thing on my exit visa or, you know, my exit stamp on my passport that I couldn't return to the UK for like 90 days or something. Oh, 90 days. Oh, that's not bad. No, but it was enough to be like, you know, I don't think I'll travel through the UK anymore if I can avoid it. Huh. You know? Yeah. I'm sure you'd be fine now, but yeah. I don't have this passport anymore either. So maybe oh, they good. Would... <laughs> start with a fresh slate, right? Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that was actually a good little tidbit about the visas there, because that's definitely a question that I you know, forgot to ask about, but, um, I'm glad you brought that up. So, and that, I mean, that's a whole subject in itself. I could probably do an entire episode on just visas, um, maybe in the future, but, uh, but yeah, for now, um, I think that was great. So thanks so much for sharing. Um, really appreciate that. And yeah, I guess we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks Karen. Bye. Bye. Awesome. Thanks again to Karen for um, coming on and sharing all that info with us. And I just wanted to give a couple reminders here. Um, One, if you have anything to add to this conversation, if you have any questions about anything we didn't cover, or if you have experience in TEFL or another program that you'd like to share, there is a comment section at the bottom of every show notes page for every episode. And so feel free to chime in if you have something to add that would be helpful helpful to the conversation um, to keep it going. And the show notes for this episode, all of those links that Karen mentioned, everything's going to be on the show notes page at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash nine. And that's the numeral number nine for episode nine. So be sure to check that out and leave a comment if you feel so inclined. And that basically wraps it up for today. So stay tuned for the next episode, which is going to have a little bit of a twist to it. I'm actually interviewing a first time traveler. So we're going to see where she went for her first trip ever and what she learned from that and how she feels about traveling now that she's done it. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to that one. So until next time, thanks and have a great day.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.